got to say, I think the tone of tonight's game and certainly now Jay's talk has changed so many times. I don't, I honestly don't even remember where I wanted to start. I got to say, like I, I initially it was only going to be about the strike zone and Dylan Cease being unhittable when he's working with something that Doug, Doug Eddings is giving him. The Jays made the comeback, right? They go 4-2, Kirk factoring into it pretty significantly. I kind of thought we have the all-star conversation about Alejandro Kirk tonight. And then the White Sox made a comeback in the 9th and the 10th and the 11th. And I don't know. I, I guess it was a real roller coaster tonight as the Blue Jays lose uh, by a final score of 7-6 to six in Chicago. They are guaranteed now to lose this series at guaranteed rate field, but uh, they will look to avoid the sweep tomorrow against the White Sox. Again, a day game. So uh, wake up early, sleep fast for that one. Uh, But look, we can have the conversation about all the various things that I'm sure vexed most people tonight, right? Like Jordan Romano didn't have it today. He was throwing fastballs around 95 miles an hour instead of the high heat he usually gets up to, which I know that sounds like a minor, a minor quibble, but for someone like Jordan Romano, I feel like it's been a relatively big difference. He was also throwing some pitches right in the middle of the zone to the point where I'm actually shocked the White Sox and guys like Abreu and, and Robert coming to the plate in the ninth didn't walk it off in the ninth, honestly. Tim Meza was slightly better, but the problem we saw him face this evening in the bottom of the 10th is truly the complete mess that was tonight's strike zone. That entire wretched moving strike zone that was brought about by Doug Eddings. Yes, maybe the move to not go back to, to Adam Simber after just seven pitches. Sure, maybe that was a little questionable. Maybe. But I think I think examining that now with you know in the in the through the lens of a loss maybe has a lot of hindsight that goes along with it, right? I mean, there was no way Charlie Montoyo could have known that Romano didn't have it today, right? Like, he is the trusted closer. He just got the five-out save on Father's Day. There's no real reason you should have thought he was going to get beat up like that. I mean, it happens, right? It happens sometimes. But still, to attribute the bullpen being completely fried and burned only to the Adam Simber decision feels like a little, I don't know, feels like a little too much hindsight, to me, um, I will say, though, if there is one good thing that came out of tonight's ball game, it is simply that there is uh, indisputable proof now that the uh, runner on second and extras is a brilliant rule and must stay forever. Like you are never going to get the kind of action we saw tonight in all of the extra innings if that rule doesn't exist. So, you know what? I'm all I, I was always I was for this. The um, seven inning doubleheader rule, too, from last year or the year prior. And they got rid of that. Okay, fine. But uh, you know what? I'm all in on the runner at second in extra innings, even though tonight it does work out uh, for the Chicago White Sox instead of the Toronto Blue Jays. Again, the White Sox winning 7-6. to six. But welcome to Jays Talk here across the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Show Ali with you for about 20 more minutes here. Um, we will get to the bullpen. I do want to continue discussing. I want to discuss Matt Gage, honestly. I actually generally liked what I saw from Matt Gage, given that he has not been in the major leagues very long. Uh, we'll continue having that Romano, Simber, Meza, Garcia discussion uh, as well. We obviously have to discard, discuss the start, for, pardon me, from Gossman, which feels like it was another lifetime ago, <laughs> essentially. Like, I feel like we watched two games tonight. I feel like we watched a game where Gossman and Dylan Cease had a bit of a pitcher's duel, and then we watched the Blue Jays make a comeback and then lose a lead in extra innings. I feel, I almost feel like it's two complete games and you can have two separate conversations about each of them. But even if we did want to treat it like that, those two quote unquote separate games are linked 
by the wildly inconsistent strike zone. It's just, there's no way we can do a complete post-game breakdown of this game without talking about the strike zone from Doug Eddings and how it affected every aspect of this ball game from essentially the jump, right? I don't know if I, I was going to say maybe that he was concerned with going to Lou Malnati's, but as Ben mentioned during the broadcast, Lou Malnati's is closed because this game took almost five hours. So uh, he didn't get to go to get the deep dish in Chicago. This honestly, this game could have been over 45 minutes to an hour ago. Has some of those extra inning pitches that were clearly balls had just been called strikes. It was the most inconsistent strike zone that I, I know, I know we often be, we're accused on sports talk radio of um, engaging in hyperbole, right? And I know we kind of do it on purpose sometimes. I And prisoner of the moment, recency bias, all that st- good stuff. I totally get that. But I honestly think that may be the most inconsistent strike zone from like an inning to inning that maybe I have ever seen. And I think that's saying something considering the umpiring across Major League Baseball has not been great this season, arguably going back to last year, if not more. And I, I look, I wouldn't blame you if you felt that this year it's been worse because, you know, like I said, always going to be an argument for being prisoners of the moment, recency bias. But tonight was egregious and much of the night um, has not better. So that is kind of the topic du jour here on JSTOCK. Um, look, I, 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 I want to, I guess where I wanted to start with that, oh, I wanted to talk about the George Springer, Springer thing being removed, uh, the Sportsnet television cameras showing us, uh, I believe it was a clip from Monday, and he's working on the elbow. Clearly something is bothering him in that elbow. So you hope it's nothing super serious, but uh, we will talk about George Springer as well. But look, on the, on the strike zone stuff, Dylan Cease is nasty, right? I don't think there's any question that he is nasty, but he got the help of some pretty bad calls. I mean, I I made some notes on some of the stuff that happened at the beginning of the game. And I honestly, I just stopped after a while because it happened so much and so often that I couldn't keep up with it. Like Chapman got rung up in the third and that was what, like four hours ago, Chapman getting rung up in the third is just one of the examples of a pitch being way outside that zone. And Dylan sees being nasty means that he doesn't need that help, right? He has a ridiculous slider. He has a nasty breaking ball that like combine how good he is normally with the, the strike zone being expanded all night, expanded and shrunk, frankly, all night. No batter, like he's unhittable. No batter, patter, past or present, could possibly deal with a strike zone and a pitcher like that in combination. Not even prime Barry Bonds. He'd go out there and he'd be chucking the butt, the bat at the at the feet of the umpire and probably getting tossed. Right? Like I just, I know again, hyperbole. I get it, but it's just, it, it was such an awful strike zone. I mean, look, an, another note here, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. walking in the top of the fourth inning. He took a strike that was way outside a ball that was right on the corner. And then a ball that was even further outside for ball four. Bo Bichette gets rung up at times, the ball outside to end the sixth inning. Santiago Espinal should probably sue Doug Eddings for all the pitches that were outside the zone. I honestly, if you go to uh, baseballsavant.mlb.com. Okay, baseball. That's one of the official sites that statistics sites that MLB shows. You can see it's actually a very useful tool. You can see the Statcast pitch zone, strike zone, uh, where where call. Like you can filter it in a way where you can just see only the called strikes and the balls. You can see the different kind of pitches that were thrown, the count, all those kinds of things. If you filter it correctly, you can see some pretty cool stuff. 
if you filter the called strikes on Santiago Espinal in all of his plate appearances tonight, oh my goodness, that is like... That is baseball malpractice. <laughs> My goodness. I, I only laugh to stop from crying because, honestly, it was a very frustrating game to watch, right? It's, it's frustrating from a number of perspectives because, first of all, the strike zone moved so much when Gossman was still on the mound. He actually got uh, some calls his way as well. I mean, as the game progressed and he was clearly not getting the calls he wanted, uh, looked like Gosman started to try the outside corners. Wasn't getting as close, so he wasn't getting the calls as often. He finally got one on Josh Harrison at one point. Later on in the fifth and sixth, um, he was getting a little more, pardon me, in the fifth, he was getting more consistent calls on the outside corner. Oh, boy, I don't know. It's just the the calls on tonight i just i there were so many of them i can't even pick one that i'm super mad about because there were so many that i'm equally mad about you know um on gosman real quick i uh i got to say a relatively encouraging start Six innings, seven hits, two runs. Both of them earned the Adam Engel RBI double, Luis Robert RBI double. He uh, issued two walks and he had seven strikeouts. Honestly, not it wasn't the mo- the sharpest of outings for Gossman, but on a night where it was so heavy and humid, I, uh, I honestly, I, I given that we saw what two and a third against Baltimore last week, I'm actually pretty encouraged. In, in what was a pretty gutsy, gutty performance from someone like Kevin Gossman, right? Because we had the conversation last night about how, you know, how the starting rotation beyond Gossman had just not been going very long, which in turn taxed the bullpen, which in turn, I'm sure to a degree contributed to some of the performances out of the bullpen we saw today. So it was uh, it was a brutal night for a lot of reasons, but I will say Kevin Gossman, in my, in my opinion, at least you give up two runs, you depart the ball game with uh, seven hits, two runs and seven strikeouts. I think, Again, compared to what we saw last time, it, it definitely felt more that we we saw the Gossman of early to mid-April for most of the night at the very least, more than the Gossman of the last, I don't know, four starts, let's say, right? But Kevin Gossman going six innings pitched, allowing seven hits, two runs, both of them earned, uh, two walks and seven strikeouts. You can text me at 590 Leave your name and location. I see a lot of people texting in about uh, maybe they're a little concerned about Jordan Romano. I see uh, some more about the umps. We will read the umps uh, text as well. Let's get to the phone lines. 416-870-0590-1-888-660-590. Star 590 on your cellular device. Albert in Vancouver. I'm glad you're on the West Coast, Albert, because that means it's not too, too late for you. Uh, welcome to Talk, man. Too, too late, man. I love it. Last time I had to, like, talk to people and stuff. I love a late game. All right. Um, Look, I just want to say, and I love dishing on the umps and stuff. You know, you guys keep doing that. The fact that you guys are angry and upset means I don't have to be angry for once and I can be the chill guy. But let's, let's all, it's cool, man. It's cool. I don't know if people watch other sports and stuff, but, like, teams this far ahead in the regular season, honestly, I'm not worried about if the sleepers teams, if the belt team, and not only that, we're young. If you look at the Yankees, it's an old team, man. We're young, we're learning, we're figuring it out. This is a relatively new assembled team, especially like when you look at like the rotation. But like, it's cool. Everybody needs to calm down. You know, look at every move Ross made in the po- in the off season. It looks like money. You know, when you look at Ray. 
and Simeon replacing him. Espinal, who knew that was going to be the most genius move of the offseason? We're cool. We're good. Deep breath. Bo Bichette deserves to be in the uh, All-Star game. I don't know if you saw that play in the tent. You know, we're cool. We're good. Everybody inhale, exhale. We're good. There's 100 games left or so. We're good. Thanks. Everybody on the show is a beauty. I love it. Let's do it every day. Talk to you later, baby. <laughs> appreciate the appreciate the calming, soothing sounds of Albert in Vancouver. I, I feel like we don't get very many calls like that here on Jay's Talk. You know what? For good reason. I mean, if you're mad and uh, what Albert said didn't didn't really soothe you, I um I don't blame you entirely. But at the same time, I I guess where where I fall on the Blue Jays this season and with this loss, the Blue Jays I guess now fall. I believe it's now thirty eight and thirty on the season. And I think that a lot, a lot of what we have problems with, and I, and I think that you can probably to a degree attribute this to the media of which I am certainly a part. So I'll take my, um, you know, I'll take my fair share of the blame on this in terms of hyping the team. Right. And I think that the, the truth, the, the God's honest truth about this Blue Jays squad, I, it's not that they are a bad team by any means. They're not a bad team. If you're, if you're still eight games over 500, uh, by the end of June-ish, right? We're about, what, uh, three and a half weeks out from the All-Star break, right? So at this point, 38 and 30, I honestly don't think it's they're a bad team. They're an inconsistent team. That's a word I've used a lot on Jay's talk. And then on top of that, relative to expectations, they have wildly disappointed, right? I mean, if you look at I remember we talked in the in spring training slash preseason, we talked about the... Like the fan graphs always does that thing where they show you like the win total projections. And I think the Blue Jays were projected to win well over 100 games, right? They were, I think they were the odds on favorite to win the AL East, to win the American League, all those kinds of things, lead the, lead the league in wins, so on and so forth, right? They were, like, they were up there with the, uh, with the Dodgers. The Yankees were a little bit behind them, but not by a lot. But still, the Yankees were projected uh, to be behind them, which I guess, first of all, shows you the problem with, with, you know, putting too much faith in projections, certainly. Um, I love the fan graphs type of stuff, but the truth is this team has not been consistent from all of the different aspects of the team at the same time, and it has resulted in 38-30 and 30 baseball. And, I mean, you heard Ben mention the stat about one-run games. I mean, how, how many people thought you'd be seeing that many one-run games here? Um, by the by the you know not even at the end of June here in 2022. Um, let's get back to the phone lines. Four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety one triple eight triple six zero five ninety star five ninety on your cellular device. Shlomo in Scarborough again. Appreciate you staying up late for my native Scarborough. So you're always welcome on the show. Yes, thank you, my man. I mean, what I want to talk about is I think our issues right now with the front office is identifying pitching. Look what we just invested in pitching in the last few years, Rourke. 24 million down the drain. Ryu, 80 million. One good season and another half. So, okay, 50 million down the drain. Kikuchi, 36 million down the drain. Barrios, 131 million. And if his, if his one pitch doesn't work, he's, he's inconsistent. We're near one of that one. So, we're looking at, compare that to the raised budget every year, how much money we're blowing on pitching that's not there and not being able to build a bullpen. It's just like we're investing money in the wrong places. Pitching can be built on the cheap with better scouting. And the, the, the main issue for us is pitching. We can't compete with the Yankees if we don't have arms that can come out the pen and we don't have a rotation that can really withstand the whole season. I mean, 
there's been some good moves Ross has made. I'm not going to fault him. Like we have a great talented team and we have a great fan base voting three players into the all-star game, but we got to ask ourselves who in the front office is making these decisions on pitching. Cause we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. Barrios could turn it around, but Kikuchi, Ryu, Rourke, et cetera, hundreds of millions of dollars, big mistakes. You know, Shlomo, before, before I let you go real quick, you know, I was talking about this with some of my coworkers here. Uh, I guess it was yesterday at this point, but um, we were talking about the last time a real fireballer reliever was brought up and developed in the Blue Jays system themselves. That was like someone that was not brought up to be a starter. And then they converted this guy to a reliever. Right. And, uh, honestly, yeah. I can't remember the last, like, I, I don't even, I can't, a name doesn't even come to mind, honestly. Well, we had a couple of them that we let go, some really good relievers. But we can talk about Hendricks. Sure. We can talk about even Graveman looks pretty good. We can talk about uh, Syndergaard's looking pretty good. He's not a reliever, but he's going hard. We've, we've had some good guys in our system or on our team that are no longer with us that are really good relievers. Even Loop had a little run of looking pretty good. He wasn't good for us, but, I mean, relievers are a dime a dozen. Sometimes they have good seasons, sometimes they have bad ones. But we've had some guys come through here they just don't look the same here yeah hey man it's true appreciate the call shlomo thanks for staying up late for me uh here on jay's talk and again uh, people calling in from scarborough that's where i'm from you can always call in i mean call in from anywhere but i'm a little biased (laughs) when it comes to uh my my hometown of scarborough but no it's true Uh, the pitching has been a i I don't want to say a problem all season because remember back in april and for a a part of may it feels like the pitching like the pitching was was very good right i mean i know burrios had the struggles to start the year but gosman was very good alec manoa has been good all season long and maybe that is an answer to the question of developing pitching internally but that's one guy right that's one guy i mean you hope you look at some of the the prospects on the not too distant horizon you hope that ricky tiedemann is one of those guys right you hope that maybe oscar zulueta is one of those guys but my, but i mean are you really gonna bank to answer my own question are you really gonna bank on the on baseball prospects of all sports panning out i mean we know the difference between baseball prospect development and let's say the same kind of developmental field in, I don't know, like in basketball, you draft the top guy, that guy is supposed to play that season. You draft the top pick in the NFL, that guy plays that season. Hockey, a little bit less, less so, right? Some guys will be in the minors for a couple of years before getting called up. But baseball is even worse with that, right? So there's you can't really bank on prospects coming up. I would love to see Adrian Hernandez get called up and work in this bullpen. I want to see the Adrian Hernandez change up, work in the major leagues, and, I mean... You know, we've already seen the Jeremy Beasley's. We've already seen, to a degree, Thomas Hatch, and we've seen other, I don't know, we've seen a whole bunch of these guys that have been decent to fine at times, but I kind of agree with Shlomo. You need more consistency from your pitching squad, and I think it is incumbent on Ross Atkins to go out there and make a deal before the deadline. I don't think the window is is closing anytime soon for this team. This team is very young, and and Shlomo mentioned the comparison to the the Yankees that are, relatively speaking, older, right? But at the same time, this is a very young team, so I think that the window is is still open, but at the same time, again, relative to the expectations set certainly before the season, the whole, you know, you saw the trailer last year, now you're going to see the movie from Vladdy, which is still an all-time quote, but at the same time, it's uh, it's just, again, the consistency has been lacking. Okay, let's step aside. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get back to the text line, 590-590. I haven't read those yet. And we'll talk about the uh, George Springer situation as well as get to the, the play tonight of Alejandro Kirk, which I got to say, it just continues to 
pound home the fact that he should be the all-star catcher at Chavez Ravine in Los Angeles later on this summer. But you're listening to Jay's Talk here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Show Ali. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Jay's Talk on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali with you as we break down the rough loss for the Toronto Blue Jays at Guaranteed Rate Field at the hands of the Chicago White Sox. Josh Harrison delivering the game-winning RBI single in the bottom of the 12th inning. This game was almost five hours long. My goodness. And uh, the Blue Jays, as a result, fall to 38 and 30 on this season. Um, before I get back to the text line, let's take a quick check of the Bet365 standings update. Just download the app and see for yourself why Bet365 is the world's favorite sports book. 19 plus play responsibly, Ontario only. Uh, the Yankees did lose today. Sound the horn, right? <laughs> it's a, It does kind of feel strange that of their 18 wins, they also have many one-run defeats. So that close for them and, and certainly for the Blue Jays as well with all their one-run uh, games, wins, losses. But the Yankees are now 50-18 and 18 with a 5-4 loss to the Tampa Bay Rays. The Toronto Blue Jays, 38-30, and 30, like I said. The Boston Red Sox, they win tonight. They are now 38-31 and 31 after a 5-4 win over the Detroit Tigers. Christian Vasquez, Trevor Story hitting home runs in that win. Tampa Bay, as I mentioned, they beat the, the Yankees earlier today. Tonight, they are 37-31. and 31. And uh, Baltimore, they lost 3 nothing to the Washington Nationals at Camden Yards. They're 30 and 39. So with that as the uh, AL East Bet365 standings update, that basically means the Jays are still in second place in the division. They're 12 games back. The Red Sox are only half a game back of Toronto, and the Rays are only a game back of the Jays as well. So the uh, Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Rays all bunched together basically within a game of one another. Toronto only uh, half a game up in the uh, wildcard race right now. So the Blue Jays desperately need to stay up in the wildcard race. Uh, let's check out the text line, 590-590, name and location. I see one here. There's no name on this text, but it just says, here we go with Snowflake Springer. I guess all the spa days didn't do much for him. Can you say DL again? Uh, now the IL. And yeah, the Springer thing, he was re- announced uh, being removed from tonight's game with right elbow discomfort. BGL pinch hit for him in the top of the eighth inning, and he dropped in that hit that scored a run right over the outstretched glove of Tim Anderson. That, that would have been a tough catch either way, I got to say. But that's going to be... I haven't seen it, actually, but that's going to be a very interesting post-game conference with Montoya tonight because it's not as though Springer was running around in center field tonight, right? It's not like he fell down and landed on his elbow. He was DHing tonight, and he still had the elbow soreness. I mean, I know uh, Dylan Cease got him twisted with some of those swings. I mean, he he swung at a lot of pitches tonight. And again, a lot of that goes back to the Doug Eddings strike zone because these guys are trying to protect a little more because they know they kind of have to swing at things that are out of the strike zone. Otherwise, they would just straight up be... Uh, would be strikes regardless. But I mean, look, when Springer gets an injury like that and he's DHing, it's a little concerning because Springer is already someone you hold your breath when your breath for when it comes to injuries, right? I mean, remember earlier in the season, I think it was when the Mariners came to town. I want to say it was the Mariners or the Rays. It was earlier this year. And Springer went up, came down. He went up to catch like a routine fly ball near the wall at the Rogers Center. And he comes down on his, like on his, one of his legs and Honestly, I held my breath. I was, I think I was here 
at uh, Baseball Control, and I held my breath for like a handful of seconds, and then he got up and he was like, okay, I'm fine, uh, and, and all was well, but boy, Springer, based on what we've seen in his short Blue Jays career so far, I think he's all the talent in the world, but the health stuff does scare me, so I mean, as much as I think that's kind of a funny way to <laughs> describe Springer, at the same time, it is, um, I, I gotta say, I don't I'm a little concerned, I got to say. Peter in Toronto, show the umpiring incompetence is infuriating, a farce, and in close games, it's not a stretch to say that it has impacted the outcomes of games this year, including tonight's. Meanwhile, crickets from Major League Baseball. What other profession tolerates such gross incompetence and takes zero accountability to improve things? Robot umpires, please, Peter in Toronto. Well, Peter, you are uh, preaching to the choir with the robot umpires. Look, I've said this before many times. We live in a world where, and I'm not the biggest tennis fan by any means. I'll watch basically most of the major North American sports. And on a good day, you'll catch me watching soccer, probably only when the World Cup comes out and uh, later this year, and probably only when Canada is playing. Okay, let's be real here. Uh, but I'm, So I'm not really watching a ton, of, a ton of tennis, Canadians or otherwise. I'm not really watching a ton of golf. Canadians or otherwise, but you're telling me for sports like those two, golf and tennis, that they can track the flight of a teeny tiny golf ball like 500 yards down the fairway, or they can track a tennis ball to see if it was in or out to within a fraction of an inch to tell you whether that ball counted or didn't or what have you. You can tell I'm not a big tennis fan. You're telling me they can't implement robot umpires? They can. They absolutely can. We live in a world where it is possible. So bring me the robot umpires. And again, look, if you don't want to embarrass the umpires, just have them wear a buzzer under their clothes or something, like under the, under the pad or under the jersey, under the, the black shirt or whatever it is. I'm telling you, man, that we, that's something we need as fans and as the media because I, I agree with Peter. The incompetence is astounding sometimes. And, look, I do think it is tough on one hand to be an umpire, but at the same time, like, while I do think Doug Eddings made it a little bit about himself tonight, and we have seen that before, how many times have we had that conversation about like, Angel Hernandez, for example? Uh, I don't know. It's just the NBA has struggles with their their refs too, right? I mean, gosh, one guy admitted to fixing games, essentially. What, it was a guy, Tim Donaghy or whatever his name was? I, I'm just saying it's not easy, but baseball is a sport where the human eyeball physically is not equipped to best call balls and strikes when pitchers are throwing them faster than they ever had before, right? Like you put in any guy that throws a hundred. Now you take him back in the DeLorean to like what? 40, 50 years ago, that guy is a hall of famer today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that it's just human arms are doing things that they have never done before. And human eyeballs cannot keep up. So that's where I'm at with, uh, with umpiring. I do think sometimes they make it about themselves, but honestly, I just think it's not, uh, it's not that, I don't know, it's just not that easy to do, and I think they might as well make the job easier on themselves. I see here uh, another text from Mike and Victoria. Three blown saves in one game. Romano gave the lead in the ninth, Meza in the tenth, and Gage in the eleventh. Uh, and the bullpen, again, it was a, kind of a mess tonight, certainly with the way things were stretched together, right? You got... Just pulling it up here. You had Simber, who threw seven pitches, all of which were strikes. He went one inning. Garcia had the hold. He went an inning as well. He had two hits. He had one. He got one strikeout. Romano had the blowup, certainly, in the ninth inning. Three hits, two earned runs, two walks as well in there. Meza, one hit. Or pardon me, two hits, one run, a walk, and a strikeout. And then Gage. Honestly, Gage, dare I say, was the most impressive guy beyond Simber and Garcia, if only because... You know, he's a 29-year-old that hasn't pitched a whole ton. 
And he, he actually got a couple of swinging strikes. I think he got Jose Abreu at one point to end the inning. So I got to say, I, I have enjoyed seeing uh, Matt Gage pitch. But again, he's not a high leverage arm. They only went to him because they had to. If, the, if this game, like they, they never, we would never have seen Matt Gage if all had gone well with Romano, obviously, right? So I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not by any means uh, including <laughs> Matt Gage in the circle of trust here, to use a term that I use very often. But again, in, considering the situation and considering the, the I don't want to say the, the dire situation, but considering the circumstances, I actually, generally speaking, uh, liked what I saw from Matt Gage. Um, before we go, I got. how can we not talk about Alejandro Kirk? The guy had a million votes coming into tonight. One of three players uh, who had a million votes or more I believe the other two were Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. That is some truly ridiculous company to be keeping. And tonight, another fantastic performance despite the loss. Again, I think it's a very, a very bright, bright spot in this otherwise a little flagging, disappointing season. Alejandro Kirk with the pickoff of Tim Anderson at first in the fifth, the home run in the seventh inning, and then working a beautiful at-bat in the eighth for the bases-loaded RBI walk. And again, the Blue Jays did not hold on for the win, but Alejandro Kirk just continuing to show why he is deserving of your vote. So again, you can vote him in there at uh, bluejays.com slash all-star. But that does it for Jays Talk tonight. Appreciate the calls and texts as always. Thanks for listening to Blue Jays Baseball, served up by the always game-ready Jack Link's Meat Snacks. Feed your wild side baseball fans. Jays fall 7-6 to six in extras to the White Sox in Chicago. And later today, at least on the East Coast, they will look to avoid the sweep. Ross Stripling heads to the mound for Toronto. Lucas Giolito goes for Chicago. Blake Murphy has you covered for Jays Talk tomorrow afternoon. I'm back on Friday and Saturday, and I'll also be handling the pitching changes with Ben Wagner. Have a great night. Sleep fast. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.